welcome to another edition of the green bitch podcast as always that is aj he is the green i am ken i am the bitch and welcome to saints and sinners <laughs> unscripted green bitch episode aj how's it going my brother doing all right bro just ooh, dealing with life life is life and so trying to get through that you know it is so in that in that regard i know you you're kind of in the same boat we Neither of us have had the opportunity to prepare as we normally do. So let us see how this goes. I am so excited to see how this goes. <laughs> <laughs> yep, same here. Same here. So as everyone may or may not be aware, today was the franchise franchise tagging deadline in the NFL. And because there were so many big names that were um, potentially going to be franchise tagged or not, then it was a little difficult to put the rundown together. So by the time we were able to do so, neither Adrian or myself would have had enough time to do our regular preparations. So as I said, this is unscripted. This is kind of like Adrian and I are going to have a conversation. We're just going to talk. We're going to talk about some stuff. And we're going to have some fun. We're going to have some fun because it's always a good time whenever we get together. So. This week, as I said, this show is called Saints and Sinners because there are lots of saints. Well, there's really one saint. And there are lots of sinners who have been up to some shenanigans over the last two weeks because, of course, we were not with you last week. So we are going to you know, just take a little bit of a trip around the various associations. We are going to touch on the NFL trade, uh, sorry, the franchise deadline. We are going to also take a look at the biggest story coming out of the NBA. But as always, you know, we go off the rip. And when we're going off the rip, we're going to the green pitch. We're going to the soccer field where this weekend we had one of the most remarkable storylines or should I say scorelines that we have seen in recent history that is manchester united got absolutely curb stomped by liverpool at anfield who scored six goals in the second half and defeated the red devils seven to nothing so aj how much of this game did you see let's let's start here that is a perfect segue thank you because that is exactly how i was going to begin my story to you about this because i have to tell you this in story form right ken I I had to work on Sunday, so given the time, I would not have. I knew I wouldn't have been able to catch the entire game. I got to see the first half. We we all know how the first half went. It was it was a bit back and forth. Both teams had the periods, if I remember correctly, where they were on top of the game more so. But United actually looked fairly decent in the first half, and then obviously Liverpool scored. It was, I remember correctly, was against the run of play. So one and a half time, I had to leave then. By the time I got to work, no, just just to, to put this out there. So obviously, driving to work, usually when I get to work, I let my wife know I got their safety. So I messaged to tell her. I was messaging to tell her, all right, yeah, I made it. The first thing I see pop up in our chat window is she was like, it's five now. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I was like, what are you, first I, I was, first, I was taken aback because this woman does not watch the sport like that, right? Mm. So the fact that she sat there watching the game, I was, I was impressed. But to her credit, <laughs> she's always for years, since, since I've been up here and since we've been together, she's been saying she's a fan of Salah, right? Mm. So, yeah. So she was like, it's fine. I was like, wait, what? And then Ken, Ken, work was so busy. I didn't even have time to process it. But what I did realize is the two United fans I was working with, did not have the TV on the game. <laughs> when I got to work, the game would not have been finished. It would have been like deep into the second half, though. Mm-hmm. But at least quarter of an hour left or so. No sign of it. The game was on. By that time, the game was on the Suns versus the Mavs. Right? Wow. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, <laughs> I, and it was extremely busy at work. And then, uh, so I, I didn't even get to see that much and didn't even get to check back. By the time I... I was going back to ask my wife, wait, five? What do you mean five? She was like, it's seven now. I'm like, wait, what, what happened in here? This is a football, this is a game? I, I only watched the highlights afterwards and uh, I don't know what happened. 
and the funny thing is, I can't stand for the life of me United fans. You know that. Like, as Arsenal mm-hmm. fans, we just generally don't like them. Mm-hmm. There are a select few who just are not obnoxious. And to be fair, my coworkers are like that. They're not obnoxious. Mm-hmm. So I didn't feel like rubbing it in. But I was, gen- even generally, I don't think I would have. Like, when your team lose 7-0, it, I feel like that's punishment enough. <laughs> I don't need to add anything to that. I, I did not see the second half, but from the highlights and I guess analysis that I heard afterwards, it was a complete and utter meltdown from United in the second half. And I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but I, hopefully you got to see a bit more. So I'd love to hear your take. Yeah, so I actually did watch the majority of the game. I, I watched all of the first half. Um, then my wife was like, are you making breakfast for me? So then I had to get up and go downstairs <laughs> to start working on breakfast. So while I was watching, while I was working in the kitchen, I have a TV down there. So I was I was following along and you know messaging in the chats. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, I was about to message and say, you know, this game is actually kind of boring in the first half because. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was it was an intense game, but it was not a very exciting game. It wasn't. I, I remember on, that much. Yeah. Yeah, up until the 40th minute. And I was I literally took up my phone to say, this game is pretty boring when the first goal scored. I was like, well, I can't say that now because we yeah. just had a goal. So I put <laughs> yeah. that on the phone. We go through halftime. And then the second half comes, and as soon as the second half starts, Liverpool scores again. Okay, 2 0. All right, so Manchester United really has to come out now and try to get back into this game. And then it's 3 0. Mm-hmm. And then it's 4 0. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this this, this is this is going to be, this is bad. I was saying, well, you know, chances are maybe Liverpool may take their foot off the gas. But, you know, in the, in the realm of saints and sinners, Manchester United paid for a lot of their sins on Sunday. But Liverpool were not Saints because a Saint would stop eventually, and they did not. They decided that they were going to exact as much punishment as they could in Manchester United's face. No mercy. None whatsoever. And yeah, like you, I'm I'm not the biggest fan of Manchester United supporters. Most of them I find to be completely obnoxious and they will rub you the wrong way if they're given the opportunity. So a lot of humble pie was shared and I was happy. I was happy. I, I'm just sorry that it wasn't us that did it so I could be the waiter. I was just sitting down in the <laughs> restaurant and watching this pie come out. So from that perspective, you know, I I can understand. And it like I saw a lot of the commentary like after the game especially where some of the pundits were saying, you know, it's difficult like Jamie Carragher made this point. It's difficult to really say much about when your team wins a game 7 0 against an, op- an opponent. Because if you beat them like 2 1, 3 1, then we can have a conversation, we can have some banter. But to be seven goals better than your opposition, then it really means that your opposition wasn't, wasn't at it for that game. So I could I could kind of sympathize with the with the United faithful and the Liverpool faithful that my felt I know some of their joy has been taken because they beat their hated rival so badly. But the fact is it's still beating them badly. And one of the interesting things I saw too, because you know our Arsenal they're currently sitting five points clear at the top of the table. Uh, United going into this game I think there were 14 points behind, but with two games in hand, because we had already played and we'd already come from behind and won our game on Saturday. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, if they won both of their games, they would have been eight points back. And mm-hmm. of course, if we did what Arsenal has done in the past and capitulate going down the stretch, then maybe mm-hmm. there's an opportunity that they could get back in. However, there was an article I had seen on ESPN FC that had said that if that well recently Manchester United was not really in the title race it only looked that way because we had a game in hand and because of that the gap seemed a little bit closer yeah but for where they were and the number of points they had yeah they would have 
for them to win the league, the most points that they could have finished with were like 76 or something like that, or like or 80 very little. And because of that, you can't really think that you're going to win the league if you're only making around 80 points. So it only looked that way, but Manchester United were not really in the title race to begin with. And Fair. apparently there were conversations, like there's, there's leaks now of a WhatsApp chat between the United mm-hmm. players before the game where they were saying that, you know, they could win this game and they could, they're thinking about running down Arsenal. But you can't think about running down Arsenal and then go ship seven goals at Liverpool. So, so much for that. <laughs> and what I would what I would say in their defense is that that's a mentality they should have. Even if it's not realistic, that is a mentality you should have in a dressing room. Like, if, if that's the direction the team is headed, you're in good form, you should be thinking, yeah, you know what, we're going after... Now we're going after second place. We're going after first. Uh, that's what you want from your players as a as a manager as well. <laughs> Last weekend wasn't that though, but that's <laughs> right. Yeah, that was that was a shame. I mean, congrats to them. They did win a trophy the week before. You know, they did bring home the Carabao Cup, and I'm not one that poops on the Carabao Cup because it's a competition, and yeah. you you are in the competition to win it. So if you win it. You should feel good. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it is what it is. Um, I know we haven't spoken about this before, so I just wanted to ask you your thoughts on this one. So we both support the Arsenal. The Arsenal came into this season with the intention of securing a top four finish. At this point in time, when we look at the lead table and the number of games that are left, I feel pretty confident to say Top four is assured. We're not dropping from first to fifth. So, yeah. at this point, I I have continued to say all season long, one game at a time. I'm only concerned about winning the next one, and then after that, we'll see what happens the week after that. I just want to maintain exactly. our position and our momentum going forward. How do you view where we are at this moment looking forward to the end of the season? Kind of the same thing because I, I actually had this discussion with someone recently and I was telling them, I, I'm, I, I'm very confident as well that the players are thinking the same way. They just approach one game at a time and try to try to, to face the opponent that's in front of them. And of course, in the back of your mind, you're thinking long term, yeah, well, maybe you could do this. This is our end goal. You know, we've exceeded the expectations so far for the season and this is what we want to do. But at the same time, there is somewhat of a level-headed approach each week and they're very confident in their ability so it, it seems to me like that's what they they're thinking like it's one game at a time some of them even openly come out and say so in the interviews and whatnot right i i feel the exact same way you just approach one game at a time and and with that sort of mentality i don't see why we can't go on and win, and win a title i feel also though that there is there is a cross section of our fan base that I don't that basically believes that it is possible that City will still pip us, right? Mm-hmm. And I can't even blame them. I can't blame them because I know it a, a small percentage <laughs> of my mind is is thinking the same thing too. Because it is City and you know things have happened, but I'm actually trying not to think that way. The reality is at this point, Ken, it literally is ours to lose. Literally, and and with the way, and even not just, not just from a mentality standpoint, but mathematically, because even if City was to beat us in in the second our second game of the season, we're still ahead. Mm-hmm. So it's up to us to drop. You know, so I, I'm well. I'm taking it week by week. Honestly, it is just I just I'm enjoying watching the guys play every single week and the effort they put out. Even when me and you've been watching this team long enough so we know how it used to be in the latter Wenger years when it was going down was basically an assured loss for us mm-hmm. it, was, it was almost like an anomaly if we were to come back this is like, like i said in a lot of years under Wenger and whatnot and i don't see that with this current crop is like all right we don't want we don't too cool we can still come back in this game we're going to do what we do and eventually we will break it and and points have been dropped as is the case well you know it we're still the youngest team in the league so some days we will have off days, but I am, I'm very confident that if the if 
the guys maintain this sort of mindset going into or going into the running to the season that big things can be in store I, I, I like I said my mindset is the same way it's just kind of like one game at a time just keep just keep plowing away at it just until it becomes mathematically assured exactly I am, and I'm right there with you I I can't get too high because as you said in the, the latter years of Arsene Wenger's tenure with the club we would either start the season poorly and be scrambling and scratching about all through the end of August, September, October. So then we mired in mid-table. And then when January comes, we go on this fantastic run Mm -hmm. that propels us to, well, in the old days, it was top four. And then recently, and then his last couple of years, it was top five or top six, where we were not getting into the Champions League but we were not well we were never in danger of relegation mm-hmm. and then we would take that form into the next season so for the calendar year we would have the most points between january and december but then yeah. the next january <laughs> we would not strengthen the squad and then february would come and things would start to go here from there mm-hmm. so i'm i'm cautiously optimistic of what our team can do I just want to remind a gentleman in one of our chats. I don't know if he's watching, but he's not watching right now. And I don't know if he's going to listen or see it after. But he said to me that he believes that Arsenal is going to lose, are going to drop six points. And he has City dropping three points before the end of the season. I had to remind him that if we drop six and they drop three, we still win by two. So, (laughs) yeah. So that that is that. Yeah, simple match. I ain't giving, I ain't giving too much airtime to that one. Uh. There you go. So from the football field, now we go to the hard with AJ. John Morant, Saints and Sinners, he has been sinning quite a bit recently. John Morant has been acting out, I guess you could say, off the floor. He's been vocal this season with how he feels about certain things, certain teams. You remember, it was this season that he had that interview with Taylor Rooks where mm-hmm. she asked him, you know, where are the teams that you're watching in the league? And he said, oh, just the Celtics. She asked him, well, nobody in the West? And he's like, yeah, I'm good in the West. Since he's been good in the West, the, his team, the Grizzlies, have been less than a 500 team. And now he has been forced to step away from the team because he was on Instagram Live in a strip club here in Colorado and broadcasting his gun or a gun on the Instagram live. He has since said that he's stepping away from the team. It was announced initially that it was going to be a two game um, separation. Mm-hmm. And then the coach Taylor Jenkins, he came out and said that right now we don't know when Jazz is going to be back. Mm-hmm. There are rumors that Jazz has checked himself into rehab for alcohol um, because he's been, I guess he's been hitting the bottle a little bit too hard this this season. What do you make of this this whole Jamarant situation? I'm glad it actually happened to him, but not from a vindictive sense. More so because I think that everything happens for a reason, so... I hope he sees this as a wake-up call because the path that he would have been heading down is not one you want to be when you're you're in a position that he was in. Generally, it shouldn't be one that anyone wants to be in, right? But especially when you're in the kind of position that he is, where he he is, for want of a better term, like the, the sole breadwinner of his family. You know how these things go when when the when one makes it like is to take care of the family and that kind of thing and you can tell that he has close ties with his family he's not estranged from his dad or anything like that i i think i like i I don't even want to get in too much into detail about what he did it was stupid it was stupid but again everything happens for a reason we've all done stupid things 
I've done stupid things later than the age of 22, so, and I've had to learn from them. I, I sincerely hope that this man, this young man, sees that this is an opportunity for him to get better and, and realize that this is happening for him and not to him, basically. That's all. I just, I just wish him to, to, to get out of that place mentally because, bro, for you to be in that kind of position and jeopardize everything that you would have worked for, not everyone gets drafted. That's not true. Everyone, not everyone makes it to this position. So the fact that you were actually able to make it there and you are living up to the potential that you had when you were drafted, it means that you are putting in a lot of hard work. Don't jeopardize it over foolishness. Understood. That's all. I, I just hope I just hope that this is actually a turning point in his life. Jalen Rose spoke about it in, in terms of like how he had instances and then you know he grew up after that basically. I wish the same for Jamarat. That's all. <clears throat> now, it's interesting for me that like I'm gonna draw an interesting parallel. One that came to me as I was listening to this story, and as you are a rap head, you you wouldn't kind of understand where I'm going when they call the name Tupac. Because there was a statement or there was a, a perception of Pac when he was coming up in the rap scene that Pac rapped about gangster stuff and then went out and did the gangster stuff that he rapped about. He wasn't rapping about things he had done before because that was not him. But he created this persona that he then decided that he needed to live up to. And we know what happened to him in the end. Jamarat does not exist in upstate New York. He does not live in Cherry Creek, Colorado. Jamarat plays in Memphis. And a lot of the stuff that he has been accused of or as alleged to have done is in Memphis AJ not to try to make it sound worse than it is but Memphis is a little bit of a rough town depending on on who you are not not even who you are but just depending on where you are and what you're getting up to so I know you don't want to get too heavy into the stuff that he's accused of doing I'm not going to go too deeply into them either but the two incidents where he is reported to have pulled or shown a pistol. But if you're in Memphis, unless you know everybody's family tree, how do you go about pulling pistols on people? Because somebody will run up on you and ask you to draw and make something happen. He needs to stop it. He needs to cut it out. And unfortunately, he doesn't have anyone in his circle who is able to pull him back because you would think that his father would be one to do it. Daddy clearly is just a man in the crew. So that's not happening. If I am an established athlete who is making lots and lots of money and I got my crew around me, the, the one body in the crew that you should never ever care about having any kind of problems is me. Because that's where you have a crew. I mean, you remember back in the day, this is probably a good six years now, um, when Chris Carter, he was still at ESPN at the time, and they had brought him to the NFL Rookie Symposium. He said that every crew needed to have a fall guy. You need mm -hmm. to have somebody in your crew that can take the heat for you if something, if something goes wrong. Mm-hmm. Jamarat clearly don't have one or he don't allow the fall guy to take the fall because he just out here pulling the piece every mm -hmm. single time. Jamarat is the bad friend that your parents warns you about because he is the one that's doing all of this stuff. Nobody else is doing it to him or for him. He's doing it himself. So like you, I hope he gets the help he needs. I have no love in my heart at all now for the, that Memphis franchise. I think that they need to sell themselves and actually win something before they keep doing all this talking. 
but for Jamarat the person I really hope that he is getting the help that he needs that he can grow from this he can improve from this and then he can get back to doing the things that he's being paid to do but if this gun situation which currently is being investigated by the Glendale Police Department is going to be an issue as a friend of mine said it's very unlikely that Jamarat came to ball arena played a basketball game finished the game at like 11 p.m found a gun shop that was open and bought a gun and then took it to the club which means that he probably had that gun with him on the plane which carries an automatic 55-0 game suspension this is the bed he's made so yeah once he once he he, he lies in it you know he, he gets comfortable and then he gets up again that's what he never puts himself back in this position. What I what I do want to add just quickly though is, I actually feel, in a sense, for the dad. I feel like his father is taking a lot of criticism, and I don't know if it's. I don't know how much evidence we have to suggest that he is a part of the problem. The reason I say so is because, Jamaran is not legally his 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 um under his guide guidance or whatever like his responsibility he, he right I, I don't know why that word was not coming to me jamaran is no longer le legally his father's responsibility legally legally he is a grown man mm -hmm. he is being paid well above what the average individual that the vast majority of the percentage of people in this country make right mm -hmm. so I think even if, and again, I don't, I, I don't know to what extent his father was basically like facilitating that kind of behavior or whether he was or wasn't, but I, I, I'm saying that the possibility without more knowledge of that, the possibility, possibility exists that his father does have conversations with him, but Ja is just in a phase where because of the, the, the lifestyle that he lives due to his finances, that he feels that he could do whatever he wants. I, I, I know his father gives off this kind of persona like he's one of the homies or whatever, but we don't know what's happened behind closed doors, which is why I haven't been so quick to chastise him over it. Because it, 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 at a certain point, it's kind of hard to tell a man who make him more. Because they're both grown men now. There's, there's not much that Ja Morant's father can tell him when Ja Morant is outrunning his father and possibly taking care of him. So... I take your point and I'm not trying to come down on Team Morant either right but I was listening to the Bomani Jones the right time of Bomani Jones his podcast and he made some he made some pretty decent points now you said John Morant is 22 right it's, it's 22 right I'm 22. I I'm not quite sure but he's I in his early so. 20s in your early 20s, if your father told you something, if your father gave you instruction or told you that you were acting, in, you were basically acting a fool, would you listen to your father in your early 20s? Would you still be listening to your father? Yeah, well, I, I was in a different situation. I was kind of like almost sheltered, I think, too. So <laughs> fact, the thing is, in my early 20s, I, I me personally, I based on how my life went in my early 20s is yes and no based on the situation okay by that by that time i had get shipped out to bim after ivan and okay so i wasn't literally under my parents roof but i still had respect for them you know but mm -hmm. yeah okay at 22 years old i still also had respect for my father by that time i think my father he was retired he had he had stopped working i was working so mm -hmm. in the house i was the only one that was working but my father could have still put me in my place though yeah, and, and he, could have, he could tell me what you're doing is nonsense and especially if i had a rationale behind it or i could see because he wasn't he was one that i could tell always had my best interest mm -hmm. and my mother as well we would have never had certain problems in my family right when jamarat's mother is mm -hmm. calling him to a mall to deal with a situation in a foot locker. What are we talking about here? Are we, we're not talking about the same kind of family environment 
that maybe you or I came from. Yeah. The rules definitely. within that family are a little bit different. So team may be getting he may be catching some strays, it's true. But I think that he's earned a couple of them as well. Because Understood. It's not a gift to say he's not around. He's always around. Yeah. Therefore, right. he should be able to encourage his son. Not necessarily, you know, hold him like a child and, and steer him by his head. But he should be <laughs> able to direct him and give him some advice that could hopefully, you know, direct him better than what he's doing right now. All yeah. right. So we talk about a couple of sinners. Now to talk about the saint, which is Mr. Derek Kerr. Derek Kerr has agreed and signed on to be the next starting quarterback of the New Orleans Saints. For the Saints, for the last couple of seasons, we had James Winston installed as starter. Last season, we had Andy Dalton come in as his backup. James went down hurt, then Dalton came in. <laughs> We've missed the playoffs these last two seasons. We went 9-8 and eight the year before. We went 7-10 and 10 this season. Derek Kerr should hopefully come and fix some of these issues. Now, how are you feeling, AJ, about Derek Kerr becoming a saint? Well, we've had these discussions before, right? And we both rate Derek Carr. I'm pretty sure I remember correctly both of us saying that we wouldn't mind Derek Carr at our franchises. But in my case, I knew that they would just ruin him because we don't have... We don't, according, according to Michael Dapper, we don't got the facilities <laughs> to, to facilitate Derek Carr. I think it's a good move for the Saints, at, especially at this point in time. Um, Tom Brady's no longer in the division. I don't see any reason why the Saints can't go back to winning this division with Derek Carr at under center and then the defense still intact. Um, I, I will let you get more into this because you will have a better idea as to who will be in and out of your team. Because I don't know if Mike Thomas is still going to be there or who on the defensive side is going to be out and all that. So I'll, I'll defer to you in that sense. But just from the outside looking in, I think it's a perfectly timed move for both parties. Um, with with that sort of defense on the other side of the ball, I, I, I do think you can at least win the division. How, how, how much further you go otherwise depends on a lot of other factors, but it's a step in the right direction. I agree. I agree. Now, I got it this morning, and usually, especially knowing that we are going to be doing this on an afternoon, I try my best not to get into too much of the sports media because I don't want to sit here and give these other people's takes on a situation. I like to come and be my authentic self. Even if I write my notes down, they're still my thoughts. This week, I have no notes written down. So this is my thoughts coming clean off the top. But there were, I, I'm trying to remember who it was, but there were some folks who got on ESPN today and said, yes, Derek Kerr is going to allow the Saints right now to, to be the front runners for the division. Right now, there are no other quarterbacks in my division. The Carolina Panthers don't have one. The Atlanta Falcons, they cut the only quarterback that they had, which is uh, Marcus Mariota. And then Tampa Bay, well, Tom Brady retired again. So we don't know what they're going to do. So now we have we have a quarterback. We have Kerr. I would like to say that even before we had Kerr, regardless of if it was still with Jameis, we still had the best quarterback in the division. Um, the expectation is that Jameis is going to be a cap casualty because why are we going to keep Jameis if we have Derek Kerr? We can give Jameis an opportunity to go find himself another job. I think this, though, is a win for Derek Kerr, for one. is a win for the Saints as well. And, well, I guess the others, or maybe the Jets, might be the only ones that could be considered a loser in that explain way. So, to Kerr first. Kerr has a $150,000 contract. Sorry, $1,000. million contract. We should be thousands for children. We use our caps. situation would smile. $150 million for four years. But it's effectively a three-year $100 million contract because the last year of his contract is worth $50 million. None of it is guaranteed. He still has 
his no trade clause so it's not like if we can just ship him off at any point in time to anywhere he is going to be with us for the foreseeable future he is coming into a team that still has a pretty good offensive line it was one of the top 10 offensive lines last season he has well michael thomas who has restructured his contract i feel like if i've been saying this for a month now he's restructured his contract therefore his cap hit is not as significant as it was before however that doesn't mean that he doesn't get moved it just means that if he sticks around he's not as expensive i'm not really here to say that i want him moved necessarily but let's say we get a call from the raiders say hey we know that your guy was the reason we got our guy in Devante. How will we do a swap? We'll take Michael Thomas for Devante Adams. I'll say, sure, no problem. We'll figure the money out, but you can have it. I that though is purely conjecture because there's absolutely no way that, that trade is gonna happen. You but yeah, but if it were, I would not complain. So from that perspective though, he's coming to a team that has Michael Thomas. We still have um, the two rookie, well, going into the second year now, Rashid Shahid, who is the speedster, Chris Olave, who is an absolute baller. Mm. We have great pieces on the outside. John Johnson, the tight end, he started to come on as the season went on. I'd still like to get another tight end in the building because we have not really had any production from our tight ends now for quite a while. The big question mark on offense, though, is what's going to happen with Alvin Kamara because, you know, he still has that KSO in Vegas. He pleaded mm-hmm. not guilty, but we'll see how that goes. That case is supposed to come up before the well before the season starts. It's either something later this month or early next month. So we will know what his fate is before the season. So we'll see. We'll see what happens where that's concerned. For the Saints, we get the quarterback that we needed. He gives us an instant upgrade. Kara has not been known to be one that is loose with the ball. I, I use the word loose because I didn't want to necessarily use the Caribbean word worthless. That's what Jameis is with the ball. So Kara would become much more quarterback-esque. He would be the quarterback in our system. I'm hoping that we don't see the whole um, Taysom Hill experience. Let him go play running back and tight end. Stop putting him at quarterback, please and thanks. Um, as you notice, I haven't said anything about Pete Carmichael because Pete Carmichael has is a notice that he's returning to the team. So I'm not going to sit here and wish that he, he gets fired because they've already announced he's coming back. Um, so that, I guess that is no, no more. But I think that the Jets... The Jets are the one that I'm a little bit, I'm looking at them and wondering how they're feeling about this today. Because the Jets were supposedly the bigger draw of all the teams. Remember, I even said that when Kara got released, that if he was coming to us, that I thought he would have just come immediately. Then he, mm-hmm. he was taking all of these other calls. He was going all these other places. Chances are he may not have ended up coming to us and then he still came. Great. But I know that the Jets would have wanted to keep the Derek Carr card in their back pocket mm-hmm. in case the Aaron Rodgers thing didn't work out. Because that, I mean, that's the perfect segue into the next one. Rodgers, he's, re- he's come back from his um, darkness retreat. He has been talking to the Jets. He is supposed to have a conversation, a face-to-face conversation with the Jets sometime this week as well but of course rogers is still under contract and to be able to get him then they will have to trade for him so what do you think of this new development rogers seems to be going to your division i think he doesn't have as many options as he thinks and this is possibly the best of the remaining lot and the jets i honestly believe are are uh desperate enough to try to give some stuff up to to acquire him um especially in that i mean is literally there's one very good quarterback in that division 
like top level quarterback in that division. Outside of that, we have Tua, who I, I don't know. This jury taking a real long while with him, but um, I think I, I'm not surprised at the Jets going for the home run in Aaron Rodgers as opposed to to trying to get Derek Carr. It just seems like a very New York thing to do, and. <laughs> You know, he Aaron Rodgers was Brett Favre's successor. This was the path Brett Favre took as well. So uh, I feel like they're just trying to relive those days. I mean, Favre didn't set the world alight in, in, in that year in New York, but still, if I remember correctly, I don't think he did. I don't no, think he, he did. He didn't, because if he did, he right. would have more than one year. He got, exactly, because then he went back to Minnesota after that. Well, back to the, that division, but to Minnesota. But anyhow... um. Yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised by it. These New York teams always make these kinds of moves. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's another New York team that we're going to discuss that's about to make a move as well. But um, with, with regards to Aaron Rodgers, I, I just don't think he has many options. Given his situation, given his contract, given his uh, um, personality on and off the field, I think there are only certain places that can facilitate him. And... Not surprised that the Jets are trying to be the ones to win the sweepstakes. Fair enough. Now the thing is, because I wasn't quite sure, we know that the Jets are, and when I say the Jets, they're particular members of the organization of the Jets that are, you know, feeling a little bit of heat under their um, patootie because things have not gone very well, and that's Robert Sala and Joe Douglas. Now remember. Was it two years ago? We were on this podcast saying how good a job Joe Douglas was doing in the building of this roster. But patience is not something that you find in big supply, in great supply in New York. Now, when we look at the potential bringing in of Aaron Rodgers and his, I think, $60 million cap hit for this season, AJ, the, the Jets are already over the cap. They are currently sitting $1.7 million over. And, and then they have to figure out how to fit $60 million under the cap. I don't know how they're going to do it. But in terms of the options for free agents, the Jets right now definitely would be the best one because it's the New York Jets, it's the Carolina Panthers, it's the Atlanta Falcons, and then the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So those are four teams that really don't look that great on paper. And he, if he's going to come into my division, he'd probably pick Tampa Bay before he goes to Carolina or he goes to Atlanta. This is also at a time where we know Carson Wentz is going to be a free agent. We know that Baker Mayfield is still a free agent. We know that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be a free agent shortly. The list of free agent quarterbacks are, is growing by the week. Jameis Winston is also going to be a free agent. And again, there are four teams that need a quarterback. So all of these guys aren't finding starting jobs for next season. It worked out for Kerr in that Kerr, the way how his contract was structured, that he was going to be making all of that money very quickly after the Super Bowl. So it's either that you release him before all of these other names come free, or he would then be butting boat looking for a job among the rabble. So that worked out for him. And Rodgers is not going to be a free agent. And who's going to want to have to trade for him at this point, right? But the Jets, the Jets seem to be interested in doing it. I know Ricky is not very happy about that, but Justin is very happy about that award because he's been on the record here to say <laughs> that he is just hoping that someone is stupid enough, to give, enough. Him, yeah. to give him all of the draft capital that he will need then to rebuild his team. Only time will tell what happens on the green half of the Big Apple. But on the blue half of the Big Apple. They seem to have lost their ever-loving mind because Daniel Jones has managed to secure himself a four-year, 160 
million dollar contract with 94 million dollars guaranteed it, what are they doing aj then i saying that was it in a chat or were we on another episode i remember saying that i expected the giants to do this though i'm not at all shocked i'm not at all shocked it is a very giant thing to do but but on a serious note they were between a rock and a hard place daniel jones played well enough last season not to get this kind of contract but but to show that you know what maybe we could keep him around a little bit he wasn't terrible enough that he should have been cut so he was kind of in he was mendoza line in last season basically <laughs> right okay. he was he was right on the line because he yeah he wasn't great enough that he deserves this sort of money based on the market but at the same time he wasn't terrible enough that you try to move on to get someone and i i i just don't see I, I didn't expect that the giants would basically blow up their project to and and what they did last season with the progress that they made even with as limited as as daniel jones is and we know he can be the fact that they've all had him looking i guess decent i didn't expect them to blow that up and let him go to then try to find someone else i oh i, I said it in the chat like i'm not i'm not surprised at it and then again this is new york this is a, it's, a, it's a giants it's a giants i don't know what what i expected them to the maris to make all of a sudden make great decisions ah. i don't understand how these giants how the maras especially are operating it's like they are comfortable with mediocre quarterback play it's called because, doubling down on your mistakes. Yeah, because, all right, so when Eli Manning came into the league, he came in with a lot of promise. I guess so did Daniel Jones. Eli Manning had two years of making the playoffs, and he happened to catch lightning in a bottle twice because those two years are the two years he beat your Patriots in the Super Bowl. They brought in Daniel Jones, I'm sure, partly because he kind of resembles Eli Manning in the helmet because he has the same kind of clueless look on his face from time to time. So, AJ, for the four years that Daniel Jones has been in the league, right, he has a 64% completion percentage, 34 interceptions, and a quarterback rating of 86.5. You mean to tell me that you couldn't get better than that? Like... Brian Dearborn has to be like supremely confident in his abilities to make Daniel Jones into something other than just a runner. Because if Daniel Jones resembled the quarterback we're going to talk about next, chances are he was not getting this money. He would have been run out of town, literally, because he is a running quarterback. Daniel Jones' best attribute is with his legs, not with his arm. The, no, the, moniker, the moniker Danny Dimes, <clears throat> I'm not even going to bother to go any further on that because <laughs> that, that might lead me into a very bad joke. So, I'm looking at what Daniel Jones has given them and the amount of money that they're paying him. You mean to tell me that a man like James Winston could come and do better than this? But then again, this is New York. And for as long as I can remember, New York has only had one black quarterback start for them in any game and that one black quarterback was Geno Smith when they were just trying to make a point and then they broke Eli Manning's Iron Man streak mm -hmm. for no good reason because then Eli Manning was the start of the very next game. No, this this is just the Giants being the Giants. Hamstringing their organization. Daniel Jones is a below the Mendoza line quarterback. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I don't know, I don't, I don't know how they think that they get better <laughs> today. They can, how can you say that you are better today than you were yesterday, giving him this money? And then franchise tag and Saquon, who was by far the better player for their franchise this just past season. And then speaking of the franchise tag, we are going to end this week with Mr. Lamar Jackson of the Baltimore Ravens who still waits to get the contract that he believes that he deserves. He has been placed on the non-exclusive franchise tag tender. 
And I know there are lots of people who may not quite understand <laughs> what that really means. Um, the exclusive franchise tag and the non-exclusive franchise tag are mostly the same except for one very significant um, difference. So a, a player who is on the well, on either franchise tag, they get um, paid 120% of their previous salary or the average of the top five salaries at that player's position. So Lamar, I don't remember what his previous contract was, but it really wasn't a lot. We spoke about it before and I have yeah. to search too far to try to find it. But he's getting paid $32.4 million this season. Now, normally, players don't get placed on the exclusive franchise tag. That this is, that is the norm. Um, the only ones that would probably get placed on the exclusive franchise tag would be quarterbacks because that's, you know, safeguarding the franchise, literally. A man like Patrick Mahomes, if he ever were to end up in this position, he would get an exclusive franchise tag because they're not giving anyone an opportunity to come and have a conversation mm -hmm. and see how much money they would want to pay him. The difference here, though, for Lamar is that since he's on the non-exclusive franchise tag, another team can make an offer to him and the Ravens would have an opportunity to match. But having the opportunity to match, if they decline to match or the other team you know, well, yeah, if they decline to match, then they automatically get the team's next two first round picks. So the Ravens have decided to play a very expensive game of chicken. They believe that they'll still get a, a deal then, but there's a possibility that Lamar Jackson could be on his way out of Baltimore. What is your read on this situation? Uh, that the Ravens are just telling Lamar, okay, well, if you think that that is the sort of money you deserve, then go out there and see who's going to pay you that. Go, see, see who's willing to pay you that. And and if by chance someone does come up, then, you know, but if, if they outbid it, I mean, again, they, they do have a chance to match it, but I think it's just them allowing him to get into the market to see what what is there for him. And not out of goodwill, but just to see if the market is actually going to want to pay him that much. So then they know is if if he doesn't get the offer that he's looking for, well then you would have to run coming back to them with a tail between legs. So it's, it's kind of they weren't able to to they were not able to as in Lamar and the organization come to a, a, a resolution with regards to the contract extension. So. It's like, all right, this is just the next step. If you think that we're being unfair by not wanting to invest this in you, let's see how many other teams are willing to do so. And then we can we can reconvene and see what happens from there. That's all I can see it as. Okay, fair enough. Now, when I, when I looked at it, I, I agree with what you said, that they're giving him an opportunity to go see if he can get the money that he wants. But... There are teams out there that would probably love to give him the money that he wants. I completely agree. I, sorry, not to cut you, but I, no, I, I just no, not want right. to add this because I just said this to uh, one of my boys. He asked me um, just before we started recording if I think someone would pay him. I was like, hell yeah. There is some team that out there that will want to pay him. Some, mm -hmm. Somebody will. Somebody. There's, there is always one foolish enough to do so. Yeah, right. So, so watch this, right? I'm going to present a scenario to you, and, and you just tell me if you think it's feasible or not. I came up with this today, talking to my very good friend and Ravens fan, David, who is very, he's all he's saying is he, want this, he wants his offseason to be over because he's just tired of the drama. I said, somebody, because the report, remember, was $133 million guaranteed over four years that they were offering Lamar. I said somebody would come and give him a five-year deal, $35 million signing bonus. And you know the thing about signing bonuses is that you get to spread the bonus over the length of the deal. So plus another 27 guaranteed per year with another 30 in incentives over the five-year deal. 
That's two hundred. That's a two hundred million dollar contract. Easy like that. Easy late Sunday morning, which averages out to forty million dollars a year with thirty-four million guaranteed per year. Do you think that's feasible? I actually do think that the team would do that. I do think so. But the thing is, at forty, so averaging out forty with the incentives. Mm-hmm. If he were to take a contract like this, that's $170 million guaranteed, but for five years, versus mm-hmm. the four uh, $133, which is very, actually worth so to be very, very close between the two. Yeah. So I think that somebody will actually have to up the money on that. Like I said, that one just came clean off the dome today. Mm-hmm. Sure. And wasn't part of the issue prior that he was it him is it him i'm thinking about if i remember correctly that he did not want to commit for five years that it was only four or some or am i thinking about someone else it was somebody else somebody else okay yeah because the length of the deal was not in question it was the amount okay. of guaranteed money that was being reported for him so okay yeah it's it's, it's interesting to see how this one is going to play i'm really mm-hmm. really curious to see how it's going to go Same. um I'm just going to run down quickly the list of others who have been tagged and not been tagged today. Um, so I mentioned that Saquon is, has been tagged. He's going to earn $10.091 million on the tag. Um, Evan Ingram, who had a breakout season, tied in with the Jacksonville Jaguars. He has been tagged and he's going to earn $11.345 million if he plays on the tag. Josh Jacobs has been tagged as well. He also received a non-exclusive franchise tag. Actually, everybody got a non-exclusive franchise mm. tag. But, of course, nobody's given up two first-round picks for running back. So, yeah. yeah. So, he is earning the same 10.091 as Saquon. Washington Commanders, they tagged Deron Payne, defensive tackle. He's getting $18.937 million. Tony Pollard, he also was tagged by the Dallas Cowboys. So... To see those who have not been tagged now. Orlando Brown, offensive tackle for the Kansas City Chiefs. He has not been tagged. And it also was announced that Chris Jones, their um, star defensive end, they tried to rework his contract. They couldn't come to an agreement, and he's going to be cut. So he's also going to be a free agent shortly. Wait, wait, Charles... wait, wait. You mm-hmm. said who? Um, Who's the last one you said? From the Chiefs. Uh, after, after Orlando Brown. You said Chris Jones? Yeah, Chris Jones. For real? Is it a Chris Jones or Frank Clark? One into another. No, Frank Clark. You mean Frank Clark? I think because I think I saw the Frank Clark one. Well, if it's one into another, so it might be Frank Clark. I know. I, I'm pretty sure I saw Frank Clark. So I, that's why I was so surprised. I'm like, wait, they would let go Chris Jones and Frank Clark? No, only one of them is being let go. So I guess. Yeah, I, I think it's Frank Clark. Yeah. Okay. Right, well, if it is Clark, then I apologize, Mr. Jones. I I hope that you are enjoying your your job. <laughs> Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who left my um, Saints and went over to the Eagles in one of the stupidest trades that we made last season. Um, he has not been, but they have not tagged him. Um, they have an opportunity to work out a deal. Well, actually, all of these players, they have an opportunity to work out a deal with them until March 15th, which mm. is when free agency begins. Matt Gay, the kicker for the Rams, he has also not been tagged. So chances are he just going to be kicking somewhere else next season. Draymond Jones, the defensive end for the Denver Broncos. He, mm. I can't even say that I already know him, so I expect that he's going to be on his way. And Jonathan Jones, AJ, if you're New England Patriots, cornerback. He is also one that... Um, has not been as yet. Has not been tagged. Mm. Um, they said, though, that your parts do have an interest in bringing him back, but he is likely to hit the open market heading into this offseason. Uh, uh, it's, always, it's always a revolving door, especially at that position for us. Yeah. That's, that's how it goes, I guess. I mean, <sighs> while there are these guys, these notable free agents that have not been tagged. There are lots of others who knew today that they will be looking for somewhere else to play their rares next season. Mm-hmm. So we shall see how everything shakes out and where some of these guys may turn up. 
Um, of course, as we get closer and closer to the draft, we will be having our draft programs. We'll be getting our draft experts in here to help us figure out what may or may not occur. Because as Ken always says, Ken doesn't know these college players, so Ken has no opinions <laughs> except for what his team should probably do in the draft. All right, AJ. So I think we've had a good time. Um, yeah. We're right on the hour. So I think we'll we'll end it here for tonight. So, as always, folks, we thank you so much for being with us. For those of you who have been watching on YouTube, whenever, if it was live or you've, you know, you've caught this on, you know, on the bounce, first hop or second hop, you know, just go ahead, like the video, subscribe to the channel, hit the notification bell so that you'll know whenever we are on we always appreciate your time whatever time you spend with us and we hope that you will spend some of it again with us soon tell a friend about your favorite sports show the green beige podcast as always that is aj he is the green i am ken i am the beige and we will see you next time